change our relationship with money and, and think about it differently. One is understand the ecosystem that we live in and why money is even important. You know, I think, I think living minimalist is super powerful. I think living minimalist while also having cash reserves is a way more comfortable life rather than just living minimalist and not having any cash reserves. Cause it, we live in a society where you can't go to a, like, as far as I know, you can't just go to like a shaman doctor that lives under the bridge who will like fix your, you know, if your bone pops out of your, your, or sorry, your tibia pops out of your like kneecap. I don't think there's a dude under the bridge who's like, oh, we'll do free healthcare. We'll just like get all this out. So you need cash to, to keep living. Like you, you're going to have to need it. So I think we have to know this ecosystem that we live in. And then we have to start asking our, ourselves, like, why do I believe what I believe about money? And is that story, do I want to keep believing that story? So let me talk to you guys really quickly before the episode begins. If you are growing a brand, if you are owning a business, running a business, if you are anywhere in the entrepreneurial space, you understand that the future is online. The big problem that a lot of brand owners, a lot of business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of healthcare entrepreneurs are finding is that they have to be able to figure out a lot of their marketing, right? The sales process, they have to be able to figure out um, their SEO stuff. They have to be able to figure out a ton of stuff when it comes to online marketing and they may not have the bandwidth nor the resources to do that. So why am I telling you guys about this today? On January 16th, 2021, it's a Saturday. We um, are holding a masterclass. Carl and myself are holding a masterclass about online marketing. Now, here's the kicker. We currently run a digital, digital agency um, firm and we've you know seen a lot of success, but we understand that a lot of our clients had to pay top dollar. A lot of people have to pay the top dollar to be able to get a lot of these services and it may not be available for everybody. So what we've decided to do is put together this masterclass where we're literally going to give everything. This is not that 10%. This is not 20% of the information that you need. We're giving you 100% of information, whether it comes to Facebook ads, Google ads, SEO, funnels, sales, being able to make sure that your stuff doesn't get banned, being able to make sure like, you know, going through how do things get viral? How do things catch on? We're going to give you all the secrets for the low price. Get this for the low price of only $297. That's it. Only $297 at the time of this episode. So just because I mentioned that price, even though I know it's going to go up later, but if you are listening to this right now, you can go onto the website and sign up, right? So the website is otcupodcast.com backslash OMS, right? otcupodcast.com backslash OMS. Or you can click the link down in the show notes below, or you can uh, message us on Instagram to get the link, or you can text us. You can text us at 321-384-6275. That is 321-384-6275. Text the letters OMS and we'll make sure we get you the link. Listen, you do not want to miss this. This is going to be the event of January. This is going to be the ticket to, you know, your online marketing lessons that you need when you start the new year. Don't let now be the time where you let your business start to falter because you're not catching up with everybody else. The future is online, online and so are you. Text us at 321-384-6275. We'll send you the link. Get signed up today. We have a limited amount of seats. When I say limited, I mean limited. Once they're filled, they are filled. So get signed up. We'll see you in there soon. We are not telling you to quit your job. Here at Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast, 
we are teaching you exactly how to gain your freedom as a healthcare professional in places that school never taught you. This is OTC University and class is in session. Welcome to another edition of Off the Clock, the Healthcare Entrepreneurs Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Mr. Carl Boyne Jr., and I'm joined by my main man, Mr. Paulo Ching. Paul, say what's up to the people. What up, what up? It's a good day to be here. Oh, it's an amazing day to be here. Listen, you guys know we love bringing you special guests. This week is no exception, and if you can't tell by my voice, I am extremely excited for this interview. Oh man, you guys don't even know how much this, this guy that, that we're bringing on means to both me and Paul. But without further ado, I do want to go ahead and introduce Dr. Will Boyd, Will the Thrill, the owner of Will Boyd Marketing, as well as the co-owner of Healthy Funnel. I mean, I mean man, this guy is just a beast. So. Will, thank you so much for joining us, man. How are you feeling? Dude, guys, I'm super pumped to be here. This is an absolute honor. I feel like I'm watching like two of my brothers, uh, younger brothers. I'm older, I should say. I am definitely older. You can tell I don't have hair. So like my two, like, two <laughs> of my younger brothers, like watching you guys flourish and grow. Uh, I've watched uh, OTC take off uh, from afar and like I couldn't be more proud of you guys and I'm super excited to be here and dive into stuff. You guys are living proof of like what can happen when you just set your mind to something that you've got goals and you want to achieve them. So I'm super pumped to be here. You know, I love you guys. This is awesome. I feel really bad. We had talked about doing this uh, like a month or two ago and uh, I'm just terrible at checking emails and messages at times. And so I'm so glad lesson and follow up Carl or Paul. I can't remember. I was like, dude, we got to get, what are you doing? Click the link, sign up. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm so sorry. So I'm super glad to be here. I'm sorry. I messed up. Uh, earlier but dude we're making it happen and it's happening now exactly just like you said man you know it's happening now that's all that matters brother we are going to be respectful of your time and we're going to dive right into it we're going to get into the business stuff but before we even take the people there tell us why did you choose to pursue physical therapy yeah it's a great question and and it's kind of crazy because i you said Dr. Will Boyd, and I totally forget that I'm a doctor half the time. We have this, uh, you get a doctorate degree in physical therapy. And, um, but I, I bring that up because it was part of the reason why I went. The more I've looked back of like being honest of why I chose to go to pursue a doctor of physical therapy program, because I wasn't in love with science. I'll be honest, like I didn't really pursue science. I, I don't even think I took, uh, I don't even think I took biology in high school and I had to take it in college. Like, I don't know how, I was pretty sure it was like a required class and I didn't I don't remember ever taking biology. And uh, so I avoided science at all costs of doing it. So I definitely wasn't like, man, I'm going to this profession because I love science. That's my jam. That wasn't the case at all. I, uh, I graduated college in 2010 with degrees in international studies in Spanish, which if you know physical therapy, neither one of those applies very much to physical therapy or the human body period. Uh, so I left and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I applied for a grant to teach English in Spain. And I did that for two years. 
And while I was there, I felt kind of lost. I was like, what am I going to do? I think a lot of people can relate to just feeling kind of stuck and, and like, what's my next move? And I knew I was just buying time. And so I thought law school would be the answer. You know, I thought maybe I'd, I'd just get to law school and then I could figure it out and I could, it would just buy more time to hopefully find out what I really wanted to do. But I was taking the LSAT or studying for the LSAT to get into law school. And I remember it was in this library in, uh, in La Coruña, Spain. Uh, and I would go there every night to study. And I just remember being like, this is gonna be my life. I'm just gonna be sitting at this desk for like 10, 12 hours a day because I had a friend who had just, he was in law school and was preparing to get his first job. And he's like, yeah, man, my first, uh, first year out of school is going to be like 70, 80 hours a week of reading contracts. And that's my job at a firm. And I was like, Oh man, I don't think that's what I want to do. And, you know, I've dealt with anxiety and depression and sort of mental health, uh, issues that I've, I've been totally, you know, fairly open about for the last like five or six years. And, uh, I just sort of saw my mental health going down the drain, like not taking care of my body, if that was going to be my life. And so I literally started asking Google, what should I do with my life? What should my career be? You know, like, who am I type questions? And, you know, luckily Google's super, super smart, like has all these resources and it's like, well, oh, Will, thank you for asking. I've been waiting. Here are all these resources for you to figure out who you are in your life. And I would take these personality tests and they were like, you should either be a politician or uh, a medical professional. And I was like, I don't want to be either of those. But if I had to choose one, like I would definitely go medical because I definitely don't want to be a politician. And uh, I just remember looking through the list of medical jobs and PT came up and I'd had one visit to a PT in college when I sprained my ankle. I had like a high ankle sprain. And I just remember the guy was super cool. He was like sliding around in a little like rolly stool. And like, he got up and like, put me on a treadmill. And at the time I never thought like, oh, this would be a cool job to do. Cause I hated, I just wasn't a science guy. But then I was thinking back and I was like, oh man, he's on his feet all day. He got to interact with people. People are exercising. I like to work out. I like to exercise, I play soccer. And um, I just kind of made a decision uh, that I would do it. And a big part of it was that I knew that you could get a doctorate degree. And I think there was a big piece of me when I was in my mid twenties early to mid twenties where like I was looking for things to validate myself and find status. And so obviously when you add a title like doctor, at least in Western society, it's like, boom, instant status. Oh, well, if I put myself into that program, then clearly people are going to outside people are going to say, Oh, he's on a good path. Look at what he's doing. He's going to be a doctor. And at the time, you know, I didn't process that, but I look back and that definitely played a big role of why I, committed to wanting to do it. And obviously it was a big sacrifice. I had to go back and do a year and a half of prereq classes to get in. Um, obviously we all know the financial investment that it costs to, to go get a degree and the time commitment I mean, is two and a half, three, three and a half years of your life, depending on where you go. Uh, it's a huge, huge commitment. And I have to, I really look back and think like that doctor status played a role in me committing to all of that because I was I don't know if you guys, you know, you guys are younger and Carl, I know in particular you're in your, your early to mid twenties of like a lot of people feel lost. They feel stuck. They feel like they're losing purpose. Um, and for me, that was the case. And I saw it as a way to get status. So, and I loved that I could be on my feet. There were two things. One, I saw my mental health being better than working a traditional, like sit in an office job and two, definitely status played a role. And so those were my big, uh, it wasn't something I knew like, that's what I always wanted to do. Or like I had some tragic injury myself or really significant injury myself and went through rehab and that's what called me to it. And I used to be embarrassed to like talk about that of like the realities of why I chose PT. 
but I, the more I've opened up about it, the more people are like, yeah, man, that was kind of like, well, I want to do it too. And like, I'm not going to lie. You know, I was drawn to it for the status piece and you got to help people, right? It wasn't, you can also go a status route of like, yeah, I'm the CEO of a finance company and I don't want to help people. I just want to make money. Like obviously it was called to want to help people. Um, I rambled there, but that that's really like, if I'm being totally truthful of what led me there, it was, I think to, to satisfy like my own inner status desire, which ultimately is then like my ego wanting to please other people in a lot of ways. So, um, well, we know you, but our listeners don't. Um, but you know, kind of looking at it. Okay. So you've, you've realized you've had the awareness that the ego wants you to do this because it has a title. It has all these things. Right. But then at what point did you come to like that full realization of like, you know what, Hmm. my life, my happiness level, the level which I can serve other people, um, in business, particularly, um, it's not where you wanted it to be. And then how did you even discover what you wanted to do or what path you wanted to take from that point? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. And I think I, I like to, you know, sometimes people uh, will ask sort of like, dude, how did you know when you didn't want to like do PT full time anymore? And I always tell people like, it, it, it's, it wasn't like a moment where, you know, it's just like, we were talking earlier off of this, like moments, you, like you have these life sort of things change and, and we can look back and I could lie to myself and be like, Oh, there was this one moment. And it's really, I think just this, like you're processing things slowly over time. And for me, it was, uh, I, I had it, I think for a lot of us, and, and this is for me, Paul, maybe, I don't know, people can relate. Uh, you go into things in life with an expectation of what you think something will be. And when you do that and it doesn't get matched, of course, what happens is disappointment, right? Whether that's relationship, uh, money, uh, just personal goals you want to achieve. Like, you know, a simple example is uh, I want to ask this person out that I see walking down the street and my expectation is they should say yes. Well, if I go there and say, Hey, would you want to go out with me? And they say, no, well, I'm disappointed. But I expected yes. And we look back objectively and go, well, you didn't know anything about that person. Like they have a, maybe they're in a relationship. Maybe they just broke up with someone and are hurt. Maybe they just like don't have a rule where they like, Hey, random dudes on the street. I don't say yes to, but you'd already put in expectations of a yes. And so the only, no matter what the result is that anything but a definite yes is disappointment. And so for me, I think I'd bring that up of physical therapy. I thought I was going to learn how to do magic with my hands. Like no joke. I thought I was going to be like a chiropractor where I would learn how to like crack people's backs and their, their necks. And I would like, I would fix people. Like I really wanted to be a fixer. And again, ego is coming into play. I want to be the fixer. Like, bah, come to me. Like people are going to be like, Oh my gosh, you got to go see Dr. Will. He's the, he's the guru, man. He'll get you out of pain. And I think what happened was in school, especially when I was first introduced to pain science, I was really like, it's, it started to hit me like, Oh wait, I, I'm not like fixing people. Like the way that I thought my expectation would be with my hands, like, Paul or Carl, you're like, oh, my shoulder hurts. And like, sit down on this table, young man. And like, boom, you're back to like, now your ACL tear is totally back to healed. You can go play football again because I am the wizard of like, I can heal you with my hands. Like, like I can somehow magically change uh, tissue healing processes by the magic of my hands. Like, like I started to realize how the body worked and I, uh, I, 
and I'd even worked a tech job for a year of PTs before PT school in a clinic, but you don't, I just didn't process. I just saw the allure of like the clinic owner. And he was like, you know, he's really well known for manual therapy. And two, two things kind of hit one, our ortho class, we had like an ortho class all summer. It was super intensive and it ended. And I remember being like, that's it. Like, when do we learn them? Like, I feel like we just learned the basic, like, where, when do we learn the magic? Like, when do I start? Like, like, how do I get rid of headaches like this? Or like, how do I remove back pain like this? And I realized, I think what happened for me, Paul is over. So that's, this is the like school part where I realized, oh, my idea of my expect expectation perception of this career and my day-to-day job is far different than what I, I had expected it to be. than what reality is. And I realized especially then when some, we started getting uh, lessons about pain science and like what actual manual therapy is doing and how it's, it's very, uh, has very little to do with actual like uh, physiological or sorry, musculoskeletal changes and rather how we're, we're uh, manipulating the nervous system and adding new changes to the nervous system. And it got me thinking like, oh, well, if I'm not fixing them then, what is the biggest thing that I'm doing for people? And I kind of realized I think during my first clinical, this is when it really hit home for me, Paul, was uh, I, <laughs> we'd had this one ortho class, right? I'd had anatomy, physiology, uh, I think uh, like one other science class and then ortho class in the first year of school. And then we went into a clinical rotation. I went to his private practice and I didn't have a full schedule by any means, but I was like seeing patients. And eventually I was like seeing patients on my own. And I had no freaking clue what I was doing. Like, dude, I didn't like, I'm just like winging evals left and right of like, all right, been this way, been that way. And I'm like, what's the special test? Like, I don't even remember the, like, you know, and there's nobody like, nobody even there being like, what are you doing? I was just like, oh crap. Like try to remember everything you can. And like, uh, do, you know, do this. And they're like, well, you know, uh, my back hurts. And I would just be like, all right, I'll just rub on your back. And like, I'm going to, you know, like, I'm going to lie to myself that I'm like mobbing, you know, doing PAs on L4, L5. Oh, I was definitely L4. I was probably on like C2, like way out of bounds, you know, like, and, and then I'd be like, great, let's get up and do some exercises that like, I know target your back. And people would walk out and be like, thanks. And I'm just like, okay. But sure enough, like six weeks later of that, people were like, I feel really good. And I was like, I'm, I'm really glad, but like, I don't know what the hell I just, I didn't like, I didn't have any like logical plan other than touch you where it hurts and then make you move more. And it hit me then of like, Oh, one, maybe people get better. And my job is to really just coach. The one thing I, I did notice that I was really good at was just talking with people. I was really good at talking with people making them feel heard, making them feel understood and making them feel comfortable. And so when I would put my hands on people's backs, I just knew that they were like, they were relaxed. They were actually calm because I'd built trust with them and like, Hey, like, yeah, here's what we're going to do. And like, um, I hate to say fake it till you make it. Cause I never like made it. I just kept like faking it. And it turns out like you can go really far faking it, not as a recommendation to people. Like that's the path you should choose. Or the thing that people tell you what makes it might not actually be what gets people the outcomes that they want. And I started, I just started realizing like, Oh, Okay, the expectation changed. And then the second thing, Paul, was I went back to school after that and started asking serious questions in class. Hey, is any of this what we're even learning? Like, does this even matter? You know, we're learning like, we were learning like do three sets of 10. It's like, is this, like, what are we doing? Is this actually helping someone? And they're like, well, then, you, you know, and, and here's protocols. 
And then I would read the evidence and like our best evidence for PT is mild to moderate evidence. And our strongest evidence is strength and conditioning principles. Like strength and conditioning research by far and away is our most solid evidence that we have for uh, treatment. And I was like, why is our entire program not based around strength and, and conditioning? Like this is what actually helps people get better. Like we know what's happening with people like psychology, make them feel better, AKA coaching. And two, help them get stronger, help them like move better and get stronger. And that tends to get most people better, especially in like a traditional outpatient kind of thing. And I just kept getting pushback of like, Oh no, you just need to, you just need to do what the protocol says. You need to, you need to listen to what you're, you know, just whatever the books say. And I was an older student. I was 27, 28 at the time when I went back to school and I just wasn't having it. Like everybody else was younger and I really felt for them because they were just worried about their grades. Like, you know, a lot of people hadn't even had jobs yet before. And I'm over here, like I'd work full time. I'd done stuff like, I'm not here to have my time wasted. Like I'm trying to figure this out. And I got super frustrated and wasn't getting any answers. And I realized it was because most of my, my, my PT like teachers who are amazing people, they just didn't treat anymore. And they didn't treat, they didn't treat for like a long time. And so I'm asking these questions to people who didn't really have the tools to, to answer the way that I needed the answers. And so I got super frustrated uh, to the point that I was like, I don't know what I'm like. I got mad. Honestly, I got mad. And like you guys, I started a podcast and I started reaching out to people who I could find who had to have answers that I wasn't finding in school. And I think when I learned that you can find a community of people out there who are pushing the envelope, that's when I really got solidified of like, I don't really care if I'm tied to physical therapy. I need to be able to help people who feel stuck and feel lost. And, uh, and for me, like, I didn't want to work for a place that just told me like protocols. I didn't want to work for a place that didn't give me freedom to like express my creativity. I didn't want to work for a place that tried to tell me like, Oh, your three sets of 10 of long art quads are what got someone better when like, dude, I wasn't seeing that in reality. So I just kind of knew then I was level of frustration and not getting answers led to this like internal conflict. Do I just live in despair and like anger and frustration or do I create a new channel uh, do I channel that, that frustration into something? I didn't even know if it'd be positive. I just knew like you guys, Hey, I'm going to go nuts if I don't find people who can actually help me and, or I'm going to give up on this career. And so I just started reaching out. I used Twitter at the time to just connect with PTs and we're like people who I saw were doing cool stuff, who were doing research and, I was like, hey, could I talk to you? Could I interview you on a podcast? And uh, it was a long-winded answer, Paul, of like the journey. But it, it was kind of a culmination of those two things of what I was seeing from my expectation of what I thought I would be doing in the career, in the field versus what reality showed me. And then two, just this huge level of frustration of not finding a community that had the answers for me that I was seeking. You know, well, I, I think one of one of the things that, I can say me and Paul really love about you. It's just how much altruism that you show. You know, I think it it's an incredible characteristic. It's an incredible trait to have. And just being able to witness all the things that you've been able to do, knowing us, knowing, you know, your, your, your story before even bringing you on here, and seeing where you were and where you are now, you know, it's such a, a powerful example of what it looks like to follow your heart, essentially, you know, and, and do what makes you happy. And I think we have to address this because a lot of 
PT students, a lot of grads, graduate students in general, a lot of students, undergrad, grad, all across, student loans is something that everyone has an issue with. And I think the biggest thing that I've been seeing just across the board, even with my peers and classmates, you know, after having conversations is this idea of, okay, I got to get out of school and I have to make the most money. So I'm going to go work in the outpatient ortho clinic. I'm going to do home health on the weekend, or I'm going to do inpatient and then I'm going to pick up per diem or I'm going to go travel and a lot of times it, it seems as if people are more so chasing the money to be able to pay off their loans as opposed to going into a setting that makes them happy. And so a question, a question that I have for you is what would you say, what advice would you give to not just PT students, but any students in general that, you know, they're thinking about student loans they have to pay back and, you know, they're, dealing with anxiety because of it. What advice would you give them in terms of being able to attack their student loans from a standpoint of making sure that they do start paying them down, but also still living their life in a way that brings them happiness and still gives them the ability to live within a realm that brings them joy? Yeah, man, it's a, that's a loaded question, right? Like we know it's such a, it's such an emotional issue. It's, it's one that's right. There's tons of logical approaches, you know, like if, if you guys are, if anyone's listening, who knows who like Dave Ramsey is, who does like sort of this debt, like how to get rid of debt plans where he's got like different methods, the avalanche method and the snowball method and all this kind of stuff. And there are all kinds of logical ways. And the, the, why I think this is so powerful though, is we can't strip emotion from, the financial burden that people are under. And so it's super hard. Like if you sat down with a totally logical person, they would say, great, measure all your numbers, look at the highest paying job, go do it. Here's the rates and the interest rates. And here's the one you need to pay off and, and you need to do all this. And, um, and I think for some people that works, like if that's, if that's you and, and, and you know, you're super logical, I think that's incredible. I think the biggest piece comes down to probably self-awareness. So for me, I, I knew that like, I'm not the super logical person with money. So having a totally logical approach was probably not going to work for me. Like I needed more emotional goals of like, Hey, could I hit something? And in full transparency, I was really on a path of like trying to figure it out. And then, um, you know, I just, I love to be honest. My, my grandma passed away and left, uh, money that was not supposed to go to me for a really long time. And my dad and my mom were like, Hey, um, there's enough to cover your student loan debt. Uh, and we can either let you write out with interest, which by the time you pay it all off would probably be an extra, like, I think we calculated it'd be another like 150 or $200,000 of interest by the time I paid it off based on like my PT salary. Cause I was on a 25 year plan or something. And they were like, well, we could give it to you then. And then you still owe 150, $100,000 left or like nip it in the butt. And then there's no interest in it. And it goes. And so, I was really hesitant to take, take that offer, but they convinced me from a logical standpoint that that made sense. And so I, I it's kind of why I had a podcast, the breaking student debt podcast and why it stopped was I felt really conflicted on, I was trying to help people with this big problem. And then I had this opportunity come across and um, yeah, I felt it was, it was very, I bring that all up to say like, 
you never know what's going to happen. And, and things are super, like, it's an emotionally charged thing, right? Like even this great opportunity, I didn't even know we had that money period. Like I didn't, it was just like, what? Oh my gosh. Like, so I wasn't planning on it. My mind was still going of like, how do I repay all this? But I think the first thing is just self-awareness. How, how, what's your relationship with money? And if it's something that is uh, really, you really, really wrestle with, and you think that no matter how happy you are in a setting, if your financial worries are more than what your happiness will be in a setting, then you have to weigh that up. And I don't have like a follow your dreams, follow your passions, follow what makes you happy answer because I, I really think it depends on the person. Like some people, some people love PT and after two years, they like love what they do and they're like, I love what I do, but I am so stressed out because I can't pay bills or like the only way I can is I go work a home health job on Saturdays and Sundays and now I can't date or I don't see my spouse anymore or like I don't have time to play with my kids and things that are real where it's like, you know, you get into real life things where you're going to make decisions of like, maybe it's worth working in a sniff or home health job five days a week so I can make enough money and still be able to play with my kids on weekends. And it's sad that that's the conversation we're having, but like we also have to be real. I mean, we also could look at it the other way and say, we could all be in positions where we're working minimum wage jobs and can't live off of income. So I think the one thing I would tell new grads is it's possible, but don't buy the, the narrative or lie that if you just get really good at what you do, you'll make more money. We're not in an environment or system that, that holds true when you are working in an environment or system that uh, rewards you financially for your quality. However, the vast majority of jobs that people go into in healthcare, you do not get compensated based on the quality provider that you are. You get paid on the one unit that they love the most, which is time. And so you have to look at it from a, and it's, it's, it's like teachers, you really got to love it because you're not going to get paid more for being better at what you do. You can invest in yourself to get better. If the environment that you work in for example, and this isn't against insurance companies, but like, let's say Paul, let's say Paul has been a PT for 20 years. Really good. Has 12,000 letters after his name at this point. Has like 19 certificates, right? And like, is, he's even been on like, you know, TV shows of how amazing he is. And, but he works at a hospital system. And Carl, you and I, we work at the hospital system. And we've been there for like five years. Well, United Healthcare doesn't, doesn't view Paul's therapeutic exercise or manual therapy at any different rate of value than Carl, you or I, it just views it as manual therapy. It could care less if a robot did it, or if I did it, if Paul did it, if you did it, Carl, it's like, Oh, manual therapy was performed. That equals X dollars. Not, Oh, Paul is really good. And I think what really got me was I actually had to like be talked to in my home health job because I was getting people better too fast. And I was, I thought I was going in to get like rewarded for being like, Hey, you're doing a great job. Like you're helping people get better faster. Like, cause you're actually caring about what you do. And, uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't directly said like this, but it was in more or less words. Well, we'll, uh, we don't get paid by being better at what we do. We get paid based on the amount of time that you spend with people. Because you're billing on units. You're not billing on an outcome. You're not billing on success. You're billing on the units that are provided. Meaning, like, you don't get, for example, people that, uh, barbers, right? 
barbers for the most part don't get paid on the quality of their cuts they get paid on the amount of people that they cut their hair because they work in an environment where they work for someone else a haircut is worth a certain price it's a commodity our services are viewed as a commodity meaning that a market sets the price not the customer sets the price and so you want to look at if that's the case what i really recommend to students is uh, when it comes to why I bring this all up about student loans is the very first thing is you have to understand the system in which you're involved in. And we can say like, well, money shouldn't matter. It shouldn't. It's like, Hey, I, if you want to live in that ignorance, it's great. Like just know it's on you. Right. And you're living in that world, but we live in a capitalist environment and we live in an environment that's, that's consumeristic. And we have to look at, if you want to live in, in a society like this, you can choose not to, which is fine. Like that's totally cool. But if you're going to be in this world, odds are you're going to have to navigate these constructs aka uh, paying bills, aka paying taxes, aka like earning a wage. And you really want to know, I just, I wish I had known. And here's the, here's the thing that's tough if you're listening to this and, and, and you're in a certain stage of your life, like, like I was, somebody could have explained all this to me and I still would have been like, I don't care, whatever. Like, so take it with a grain of salt. Cause you may be like, this guy's crazy. Like, I don't even care about this. I, I totally understand. Now I look back and I'm like, gosh, I wish I could have understood. Like I was in a, I, we're all in a system, an ecosystem, and here's how it plays. And in the ecosystem of healthcare, especially if you're a PT, if you really love what you do, focus on being really good at what you do, but only to be able to leverage those skills to put yourself in a different place within the ecosystem that actually pays for the value that you bring, that actually rewards you for being really good for what you do. Like imagine if a basketball player, I think we can all relate to sports. Like imagine if a basketball player were just a basketball player, meaning, hey, uh, you're a basketball player, you make $100,000 a year. And you got LeBron over there and you've got, you know, uh, Luka Doncic and you're like, yeah, but I'm like really good basketball player. I should get paid more. It's like, nope, you're a basketball player. You get paid 100,000. Oh, and you get paid the same as uh, Bobo Barnjanovic, right? Who plays like, you know, six minutes a game, maybe averages two points a game. He also gets a hundred thousand dollars a year. You're like, what? I'm like killing it out here. Like we're winning championships. Nope. You're a basketball player, man. You are, come on. Like, that's all you are. You would be like, this is like, what's my incentive to be better? What's my incentive to, to train? What's my incentive to like, like, yeah, I'm going to train to stay in the league, but like, there's no incentive to like win if outside of just like, well, you want to do it for glory and fame. And like, it's like, okay, but dude, like, this is my life's work. You know, like I'm missing months away from my family, missing months away from like people I love. And so you really want to look at, so imagine the NBA, if that had been the case, instead, what they realized was, Hey, we need to organize as a, as a union together. And we need to have a player's union and the player's union could fight for differences in wages. And they could fight for things like, Hey, we want brand endorsements. So outside companies NBA, you don't get a say in which companies I can actually use my likeness on. And you're able to go out and do that. So if you're really quality and you know what you want to do, uh, I'm not saying entrepreneurship's for everyone. Or, so you don't need to own a business. I think this is the thing. Everyone's like, go start your own cash practice. Go work for someone who already is thinking that way and values people in that way. So if Paul and Carl think this way, and you know, like, I don't want to own my own business, but Carl and Paul are there. They're like, we want to grow our business. We'll go work for guys like that who actually do pay on, on value and for you being better at what you do. But here's the last thing I'll say to this is very rarely do people pay because you're better in healthcare. 
outside of surgeons, uh, yeah, really outside of surgeons I can think of, people don't pay you because of, won't pay you just more for your healthcare skills. The best thing you can do, even if you don't have an interest in business, is learn that you are a part of a business and you are true, like a big piece of your value is yes, quality care of patients and clients, whoever you're working with. But two, how do you help that business bring in more clients? How do you help that business keep clients or you know, uh, provide more value to existing clients financially? Maybe that's wellness services, maybe all these things. Then you set yourself up as a, what I call a linchpin, someone that can't be removed because you're so valuable and you're bringing so much value that you get to dictate your wages higher. And I really like, I, I can't really speak on like the debt relief strategies. So I can't really go there. I can, I can tell you, and Paul and Carl, I know, I know we've talked a lot about this is uh, the debt relief side, like the actual financial savings and relief is in debt uh, repayment stuff is one, one half of the equation, super powerful equation. But I'm telling you, this equation can get even more powerful when you learn how to make more money. Now, if you don't know how to save the money you make, that doesn't matter. Like it's irrelevant, but assuming you know how to actually have some good financial, like save and, and pay in, making more money allows you to cut this even, even further. So I'm on a mission because I don't know the debt relief side. My mission is to like help, help new grads, help students learn how to make more money. And it's very rarely through PT skills, which is just, I wish I could say that's the case. If that were the honest truth, I would tell them, go master those skills. And some people will say, no, man, it always pays off if you just get really good at what you do. Hmm. If you're in a system that values it, sure. But the reality is the system tends to not value that. Um, first of all, multiple mic drops. Um, just going to leave that there. Okay, so let's, let's kind of transition into the money talk, if that's cool. I think I actually saw it um, on a Magic Johnson video recently where he was talking about, and it's crazy because I think Carl and I also just had that same realization ourselves recently mm -hmm. this year, but he was talking about for him when he really made it in life when we really figured out the game was um, when he found out that the same amount of time it takes to make like a million for him, like a million also takes that same amount of time to do like a hundred, right? And, and so it's like, I think for us too, especially, you know, kind of moving in the phase of where we are in our businesses, it's almost crazy, like realizing what is and is impossible, just depending on what you do. Like you said, the market with a lot of commodities determines the price. Like you, you, you can't just be like, oh, you know, this phone is going to be 10 grand grand, like now Apple's going to come out and say, this phone is worth this amount. And that's it. Like, <laughs> cause all the phones are going to be around whatever it is. And so, you know, just to kind of like talk about, you know, how a lot of these people need to start thinking about their financial goals, not even goals, just like how to even generate more income. Right. Because I think for so long, you know, we, we finally figured out the, the, the we're going to give this secret away. We finally figured out the secret. Um, where you can actually spend less time and still generate more. Um, but now it's like, okay, when you're trying to take it to that next level, right? When we have a lot of people coming out and like, you know, doing the job, working in the hospital, doing the sniff, doing, um, you know, the home health, doing whatever it is they may be doing, or even if they're doing nursing, or if they're doing like, you know, radio tech, or if they're doing like dentistry, whatever it is they're doing in healthcare, how do you then like help them 
start to see the world in a different light. Because I think for so long, for us, we just had to learn different skills. That's really what it was. We learned different skills and those skills like at this point are going to generate in half the time, a quarter of the time, what it would take us a year to do, you know, in a PT job. So how do people, and that's crazy to say, shout out, <laughs> shout out to those skills. That's crazy to say, right? In a quarter of the time. And I mean, that's a quarter of the time, like for the listeners, I say that like saying that that's a quarter of the time that Carl and I each separately in our business will be able to be like that same amount of time. We could also generate what it would take us a year individually. So what I want to get into is more so when we talk about like, okay, then how do we start to craft our relationship with money? Because now like, you know, people say money is just a tool, you know? All right, cool. We've gotten to that point. Right. But past it, like we see it as a tool, but we also see it as the thing that enables us to live life the way we want to live it. And the, the dream reality that we had for so long is now becoming just reality. It's not just becoming a dream reality, it's just becoming just reality. But how do people get to the place where they're able to make such money moves that, you know, condense the distance between their dream and where they're actually living or where they actually want or should be living? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's deep. It's tough. It's a tough one where it's, it's, a, it's an awesome question. And I, I, I think the, the best thing I can do is probably just provide my, my own journey. I think it's something that, uh, I think again, right. Money is so emotional and so emotionally driven. So I think, I think the first thing is, uh, first off, if anyone tries to go negotiate an, a price of an iPhone, please let me know. That'd be amazing. As Paul brought that up, I was just picturing somebody going into it, like an Apple store, or AT&T and being like, uh, uh, like, Hey, no, you know, I think I want to get this for only four ninety nine. They're like, what? Like, no, it's, 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 it's nine ninety nine. Like, no, 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 no. I know. But like, no, like for me, it's different. You let me know how that goes. If anyone does that, I would love to hear how, how that conversation goes. Uh, but I think first off we, for me, it was, it was uh, really hard. I had to look at uh, what was my relationship with money. I think we have to start there, right? It's like any, any problem we have to sort of look at it and say like, why am I in the situation I'm in? And for me, it was like, I just emotionally didn't, I didn't want to have a relationship with money. And I think it was because like when I grew up, I, we certainly weren't like, I can't remember a time we weren't ever like taken care of or well off, but I do remember money was a bigger issue in my family, like conversations between my mom and my dad. And like, we can do this. We can't do this. Or like, you know, well doing travel soccer, which sounds something super upper middle class, but like, I just remember the time it was like a, an issue, right? Like, Hey, should we, should we not? You might have to make a sacrifice here, make a sacrifice there. And and I don't, I don't have kids, but I'm sure anytime kids are involved, like your costs just skyrocket and like making decisions becomes so much tougher. And I just remember thinking as a kid, like, gosh, money seems so dumb. Like it just, I just remember being like, seems like cause a lot of problems. Like, I don't want to think about that. That seems like really like not, uh, not something I really want to spend time thinking about. And I think we were at that level. We were well off enough that like, it wasn't like money was so abundant, but it was like, yeah, it's not something we need to be freaked out about. So it wasn't like, it wasn't in the conscious narrative all the time, make more money, make more money, make more money, make more money. But it also was still like an issue of like, well, maybe we can do this or we can't do this. Or like, uh, you know, like we, we, and, and sometimes simple things like, you know, maybe we can't go to a baseball game, like minor league baseball game on a weekend or something, you know, it's just something like small. 
And I had to really look at over time, like, why did I, why was I so afraid to have a relationship with money? And I just think I, I assumed it caused problems. I assumed that it would uh, uh, lead to, I think I saw a lot of people who were wealthy that I just felt like you seem kind of fake. And so I was kind of like thinking, oh, if you make a ton of money, maybe it changes you. And so I had all these beliefs, right, of what I thought money was and what it could be. And I, I think to help people change their relationship, I, I think the first thing is you have to be willing to look at what is your current relationship with money and why do you believe what you believe about money? And I mean, Carl or Paul, you know, it's probably like, it's such a dumb answer, but, uh, or silly answer, but the reality is believing you can make a million dollars and the difference between believing you can make $10,000 this year and a million dollars this year is literally believing it. It doesn't mean that you're going to make a million dollars, but the difference between it is like just being like, oh, and I think the big thing is with money, you just have to, it's really tough when you don't have the resources, but you just have to start asking yourself questions. So for me, the biggest thing is like, well, how do, how do people even make a million dollars a year? And then you start going down that wormhole. Well, okay, what are, what are the things that people have in common who make a million dollars a year? Well, it turns out most of them either own businesses or like own parts of a business. Oh, great. Um, how do you own a business? Now I'm asking a new question. How do I own a business? Now I'm going to the rabbit hole of like, how do you build a business? Okay. Then it's like, uh, wow, there's a lot of different businesses out there. Which business should I do? Okay. Well now I'm asking a new question. Okay. Which type of business should I grow? Uh, you know, can you, and then it's a question of like, is there one where it's just me and I can make a million dollars? Hmm. There are, but not that many. Okay. So then I'm going to maybe have to hire a team. How do you hire a team? And these questions that start making you like the things that you otherwise would be sitting going, what should I watch on Netflix? You're asking, what are the resources that I have to like do to make a million dollars this year? And then you start asking deeper questions, which is who do I have to become to become capable of starting a business? And that's when we get really deep into questions of like, you guys know that like you guys are no different in terms of like your kindness, thought, how thoughtful you guys are now that you run a business, but you unlock a piece of you that's like, oh, I didn't die by doing this. Uh, my family doesn't hate me. Like I'm still breathing. Uh, okay. That wasn't as like terrifying as I thought. What else isn't, what else did I think would be super hard and terrifying that's like possible? Is it easy? No. But like, is it like, you know, put you in danger or harm? No. Oh, okay. You realize you're like more capable than you, than you thought. And you just start challenging yourself of like, I, I think we just don't, I, th I think if one thing we can help people is just start, there's two things. One, asking different questions of yourself. And then two, this is the harder part, being willing to sit with whatever the answers are. And that's the really hard part. Because uh, it's really easy to ask yourself like, uh, who do I have to become to make a million dollars? Well, I got to own a business. Great. Why don't I own a business? Uh, no one's ever taught me. Okay. Is that a reason enough for us to not do it? No. What are we going to do now? And you got to really sit with those things and be like, Oh man, what do I want to do? So I, I think it's a long winded answer. I, I, I really think that to change our relationship with money and, and think about it differently. One is understand the ecosystem that we live in and why money is even important. You know, I think, I, I think being, I think living minimalist is super powerful. I think living minimalist while also having cash reserves is a way more comfortable life rather than just living minimalist and not having any cash reserves. Cause it, we live in a society where you can't go to a, like 
as far as I know, you can't just go to like a shaman doctor that lives under the bridge who will like fix your, like, you know, if your bone pops out of your, your, if your elbow, your tibia, or sorry, your tibia pops out of your like kneecap. Like, I don't think there's a dude under the bridge who's like, oh, we'll do free healthcare. We'll just like get all this out. So you need cash to to keep living. Like you're going to have to need it. So I think we have to know this ecosystem that we live in. And then Paul, I think we have to start asking ourselves, like, why do I believe what I believe about money? And is that story, do I want to keep believing that story? And I I owe a lot to, you know, Greg Todd, a a mutual mentor of ours. I owe a lot to Alex, uh, my business partner and, and one of my best friends of forcing me to ask different questions and forcing me to sit with my own story about money. And ultimately we live out, you know, just for me, at least I, and people may not agree with this, but I think our actions that we, that we do in life are really just played out by the stories that we're kind of playing in our mind. And so if you don't believe that money is uh, that you can earn money or change your relationship with money, then you'll, your actions will fall in like fall in line with that. Hopefully that helps. I know it's kind of a broad, you asked some deep, powerful questions. I love this. That definitely helps. Will, man, first, for for the listeners, let me say, Will, Will is very humble, so he won't tell you himself, but he is amazing. And when I say amazing, that's an understatement, but he's amazing at being able to help other businesses bring their dreams to reality. And um, I can even say for myself, you know, Will Will is the person that helped me be able to make my first couple hundred, my first thousand on the internet. And to people that are listening, like, oh, a thousand dollars or a couple hundred dollars on the internet. Ooh, that's, that's nothing crazy. No, 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 no. When you're so used to making, the only way you make money is when you go into a physical establishment and you punch a clock and when you leave, you punch out and you get paid for that time, being able to make money online will change the way you you view money, will change the way you view your time. So um, I had to say that, Will, because I, I always like to credit you, man, because you helped me make my first amount of money on the internet you know, and, 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 and through marketing. And I have to, I have to kind of segue into this because I I think for me and Paul, it's very important on this podcast to be able to, of course, give our listeners, you know, some good information to, you know, make them really think and make them really reflect, but also be able to give them something where they can walk away from an episode and say, huh, okay. Now I know if I want to do X, Y, Z, this is how I can get started to start making money. So I kind of want to want to shift a little bit into that because as I said, you, you helped me be able to, you know, make money through. And for those who are wondering, Will essentially taught me how to be able to build out websites. So that was a very lucrative skill. Thank you once again for that. And that was through Digital Income School, which is still up and running. And um, I want to ask you, I know you have a couple different things that you're, that you're doing, a couple, a lot of different things you're working on. You know, you consult, 
you help be able to teach people how to make websites and the video editing and the podcast editing and so many different things like that. And you also, you know, do Facebook ads and things of that sort as well. So the question that I want to ask you is what would you say? And I know this is tough for you because you don't like to brag, but it's okay. Will. what would you say for you right now is, is your bread and butter and from your bread and butter, what would you say for anyone who's listening could be some ways for them to get started? Understandably, you're not going to make a ton of money overnight, but what are a couple ways for you to kind of get started to progress to the road of being able to make money off of um, what you would consider your bread and butter? Yeah. Well, man, I didn't even expect to talk about digital income school and I'm, you know, it's a passion project of mine, so I love it. And, and uh, I think the first thing real quick, if we, if we have a minute is uh, first off, like, what does it mean to make money online? I think it's really important. I think that there's a, a, like a misconception that there's like some secret thing out there that you can just go and like, if you click some buttons, you'll make money. Like I always tell people, Carl and Paul, the skills that you have, you guys have learned business skills that are just applied online. So I always tell people that it's not like go learn. Like if you type into Google, how to make money online, you'll see a bunch of stuff. It's really like, how do you learn business skills that are just applied online? So when Carl talks about making websites for businesses, his, his making money online is he's trading a service for money. Meaning, Hey, rather than building a you know, physical space, like a door, like an architect might or a contractor, he says, cool, I'll build your digital uh, store and your digital like architecture. I can help you with that. And that's a business skill because if we look at what, what making money online about is really about getting attention, moving people from attention to a learning phase uh, somewhere online, and then being able to offer them a product or service uh, in front of them. Like that's really what we're trying to do in this space. And so I always like to start with that because I think some people are like, do I want to make money online? I want to like click some buttons and like, you know, like I, w- I want to know the things and guys, is it easy work or hard work? Oh, it's hard work. Hard. You got to devote work. a lot of time. Yeah. It's, it's something that like you, like you can't just, uh, and the people who, who I just really can't hammer this home enough. Like what, what we teach and what Paul and Carl are talking about is learning business skills that they just happen to do online and over the internet. They're not like tapped into some secret cult of like make money online. Here's how you like, you know, there's like some website with like a slot machine and all of a sudden it's like, dude, I cracked into the like make money online. No, they're learning business skills. And the great thing is these skills translate to almost any industry in the world. Meaning if you know how to make websites, yes, there are certain businesses that like needs very specific websites, but for the most part, businesses just need some type of website. And Paul and Carl know how to do that or they know how to uh, write emails. And you're like, well, I know how to write emails. No, like actual studied copywriting of like, how do you write emails that like help persuade people? And I think at the core of all this is their skills that you're learning. And most of them are about communication and business skills. And if you look at it again, ecosystem, what do we pay? You know, Myron Golden, guys that, a guy that we've heard talk plenty of times, you look at who are the, some of the highest paid people in society. They're communicators, actors, uh, musicians, uh, public speakers. And, and they're not even selling like a, a like thing that you like 
use on a daily basis. It's consumption of, 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 uh, of communication, right? It's, it's consuming communication. And so we really highly value that. And if you can learn skills of communication, and why, why do we value it so high? Guys, when's the last time you made like a really powerful decision in your life that there was not some level of communication involved? Never. Zero, right? Like zero. Even if it's just internally, you're having to communicate to yourself, right? Like, so that's why we value communication so high. So you can, if you can master those skills, you're helping people. Uh, the difference between buying you know, an iPhone versus an Android is someone's conveying some type of communicated like perception of what's better. Well, if you know how to help people like perceive things differently, then that's really powerful, right? That's, that's, that's a huge skill. So to answer your question, Carl, my bread and butter, I think uh, at this point is uh, really helping businesses that exist right now, like hone in their offers and how to position their offers. So for example, you guys, uh, you know, who do, let's we'll just call it digital marketing services in general, right? Like, hey, what, what do we offer? And, you know, uh, we've talked about this together, guys, right? It's like, do you offer a full buffet of everything you could possibly offer? And, uh, and then it, like, you might be able to do all that, but then can you, can you grow that? Or you, can you only take on like two clients and then you're just like, whoa, like way out of hand, right? Versus like, hey, maybe it's better if we just offer a few things and get really good at it and we can create a process and we can scale that. And then how do you communicate to that people? Cause to your, to a business, because you're not a full digital marketing service. Now we just do these things. So how do you position that to somebody versus, well, we could go hire a whole digital marketing agency. Yes, we know you could. Here's why it makes more sense to work with just us on this aspect and helping people communicate the positioning. So that's where I feel like my bread and butter is right now. Like where I just feel somebody comes and like something's off and it's like, great, let's, let's dive into this. Let's dig into it. The communicating point. The other thing my big passion is when I felt the weight of student loan debt, uh, we wanted to create something to teach people the skills that I learned uh, and my business partner, Alex, learned that helped us make our first uh, like side hustle income, which was for me started out uh, doing podcast editing because I was running a podcast. Then it became making a website for that same podcast that I was editing for. Then it became an email marketing. I had this con ed company uh, that I knew a guy in who was like, yeah, we're just not marketing. We have this email list. Like, what do we do? And I was like, I can write emails. And they're like, cool. It's 750 or a thousand a month. I was like, yep, I'll do that while I'm sitting bored in school. I, I totally will do that. Uh, and then it became uh, for me uh, running Facebook ads for businesses. And we started doing that and we built an entire business and agency off of running ads for uh, clinics and so we created Digital Income School, which is, uh, it's a like 12 week boot camp essentially of learning the basics of website design, uh, email marketing, video editing, podcast editing, Facebook ads, Google ads, content management, and then how do you get clients and how do you like uh, sell to clients? And I, I view it as sort of like an undergrad that every person should get who wants to start a side hustle. It's like all the skills that I think any single one of them, if you, if you really master them, you can make thousand plus more a month. Is it just like you learn it and all of a sudden money comes your way? No, you have to learn how to talk to people. And we teach you like you got a network. Paul and Carl can tell you guys all about like building your network and talking with people. Uh, but you need some framework to go off of. And uh, I always tell people like, it's not a graduate level program where you're going to learn all the ins and outs of every single thing. But if you need to get your mind right of like, holy cow, this is possible and it's out there. And I'm, I have the baseline skills to go make money. 
it's perfect for that person who's like, I know I need something different in my life. I don't want to work a weekend job. I need to figure out a thing. That's what digital income school is all about. We, it's sort of like a, a 12 week boot camp, and it's, uh, we try to keep it, it's $497 for 12 weeks. And uh, so far, we've had uh, somewhere around 200 uh, students go through the program so far. And it's been super awesome. I can't, you know, I wish I could say like every single person has made money. I don't, I don't know that, I don't think that that would be true yet, but I will say we have had a lot of people start their side hustles. And we've had a lot of people now who are making uh, four, sorry, uh, over a thousand dollars a month. And we even have some people now who are doing five to 10,000 a month from their, their side hustle job. So it's, you know, it's kind of whatever you put into it, you can, you can get out of it. And um, it's just been wild to see. I think I'm, it's, it's kind of crazy, but I'm super proud of the amount of people who uh, we've helped not go full time into healthcare jobs, which is kind of crazy, but like, it's a cool, uh, cool feeling when people are like, yeah, man, I'm going down to part time. Cause like I'm making money running ads for these clinics. It's just like, ah, oh, dude, like that's, and they're like so grateful because they were losing their, their, you know, just like losing their purpose and happiness in a, in a traditional job. So yeah, digital income school is the spot. Uh, if you're interested, you can check us out at, uh, uh, digitalincomeschool.com or uh, if you just message me on Facebook at Will Boyd, uh, you can, uh, I can, can talk to you about it. Let me ask you a quick question. Let's do some math y'all. Okay. Um, Cause you mentioned something really important and I want people to get just the, the importance of what you just said. Right. So let's just take um, PTs. The average PT is making what, like 60 grand a year on a good day. Right. Something and so like that comes out, I mean, after taxes. <laughs> that comes out to a, like 35 or something like that. Right? Okay, so so working with 35,000, right? Post-tax, you, you got a 60K salary as a PT. Uncle Sam wants his cut. You've got 35 grand roughly to work with. Monthly, what does that leave you with, right? So 35 grand, divide that by 12. So you're working with 2,900, right? And that's before, you know, social security and all that other stuff takes their cut as well. Meanwhile, you could join digital income school and figure out the skills to be able to supplement all that from the crib. Y'all like, this is why, um, what we're talking, this is why having well on the episode is so important, right? Because the students you have in digital income school, like they're figuring this out. A lot of them like are coming in and you're talking about people making like a thousand a month. That's, that's no chump change. If you're only making what two grand, 2,500 at most a month, another thousand on top of that is going to do some work for you each month. Yeah. Shout out to the people making five to 10, like you're making more than your job pays you. Right. And the reason why we talk about this is just because like being, being able, not even just the skills, but just being able to recreate and redefine what the belief with how much money you can make. Cause that's what happened with us. We just woke up one day and said, yeah, why not? Why not us? Why, you know what I'm saying? What would it look like if we did it? Right. I'll be honest with you. Like growing up um, for me, I, I had so many crazy dreams, man. I, to this day, I always wanted to own um, one of the box seats at Auburn Hills for the Pistons, right? And I always knew like growing up that, yeah, the things I was seeing people do around me legally um, 
was not going to be able to get me that box seat, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm going to say within the next 10 years, I'm pretty positive I'm going to get me a box seat, okay? Right? But it, and, and, and the reason why I bring that up is just because, like, when people think, when people think um, what it actually is like to be able to provide for yourself, to be able to get the income that you want, right? To be able to do it in a way that doesn't leave you, what's the word PTs love using? Burnt out right i said they should just put that in there right after your titles burnout um but like it doesn't leave you burnt out it doesn't leave you feeling like you have to work 19 jobs each week and work 90 hours a week and then like have two hours to sleep just to be able to spend another three in traffic you know you don't have to do that and unfortunately you know um a lot of schools i'm pretty confident this is why schools hate me at this point because I'm always just talking crap about PT schools, but I'm pretty confident. Like that's why a lot of schools like don't teach it to you. They don't teach you those skills. They don't teach you mm-hmm. the ability. You like you only learn stuff that helps you pass an exam, so you can go and do stuff physically for a certain amount of time that somebody else tells you they need you to do, and then you know maybe you'll get a vacation here and there, and like that's life for the next forty to fifty years. Meanwhile, you could be in digital income school and figure that out. Let me share something. My girlfriend, right? So my girlfriend is a clinic director um, a year out of school, right? And for her, and this is coming into a question, right? But for her, like one of the craziest things I've noticed, right? And I and I just use an example because she just happens to be the practicing PT in this situation with the three of us. For her, I always see like this weird relationship where a lot of the people in the company she's working for always question why she's taking so many vacations. Like, why is she always traveling? Why is she always doing this? People have been practicing making 65, 70, maybe 80 for the last 35 years. And now it's like, it's almost like a sin, right? For her to want to be this free. And, you know, what What I want to ask is for the people that are struggling with that, because I know so many, I know so many people are struggling with that identity financially, right? Where I could be preaching from the hills, when you graduate PT school, you're still going to be broke. <laughs> like I, I, I could, I could be preaching it from the hills, but people need to understand like what that actually looks like. Right. So from somebody who's gone through that, struggled with that, done PT, then realize, you know, I ain't going to do this anymore. And now you've found a job that I'm going to safely say pays you more than PT paid you. And quite frankly, it's like you, you're paying yourself really. Right. But then you get to determine whatever it is you want to bring in as somebody who's gone through that process and as somebody who understands it what would you say to the people that are struggling with that identity crisis where it's like I want to be able to be free I want to be able to enjoy my life but I don't want to feel like I'm bugging the system I don't want to feel like the people that have been there for 50 years which is sad people been 50 years like they're calling the shots, but we're making the same amount of money. Like I'm just enjoying my half of it. Right. Who do you, what do you say to those people and what, how do you help them kind of grow past it so that one, they can join digital income school. And then two, they can um, be able to just live life at a place where it's like, okay, I'm no longer tied to the identity of what money has defined me, but now I can define what the money in my life looks like and what it allows me to do. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think first off, you know, I, I, generalizing but i think anytime like people look at you like wow why are you taking so much vacation or like why are you uh 
whatever you're doing with money or maybe why are you starting a side hustle? Why can't you just be happy with like working the, the job that you signed up for? Like you went to PT school for all this time. Shouldn't you just be focused on like getting good at what you're doing? Well, we already addressed that part earlier, right? Like focusing on getting good at what you're doing is self-serving. It's great. Obviously we want to help our patients get better, but as humans that live in a society where more opportunities come with the more money that you have, we're incentivized. Do you want to make more money? Because it, it's not because you're greedy. It's like you want more opportunities and options. How do you take a year off of, of not working? You have enough money in the bank. That's literally it. So if you want that opportunity, you need to be able to earn more money. And I think when people say things like that, I, I often, my heart kind of sinks because I know that there's probably a part of them that wishes they could be doing what I'm doing or they wish they could be taking the risk that, that um, Paul, you know, like, like you're doing. And I think it's really hard, man. I think a lot of people, it's really weird. You know, when, when you're young uh, and, and a knock on wood, relatively young at 33 still, but like definitely when you're younger of like, you assume adults have it figured out and they know what's best. And uh, as I'm getting older and turning into more of an adult, like, no, man, most people haven't dealt with their own baggage. Like most people just cause they're 65, you think, Oh, they've, they've like figured things out in life. No, they figured out a way to manage life doesn't mean they've figured out their lives to live the life that they want and very few people around you are actually living the life that they want to be living and so and i think it first starts with most people don't even calculate or like map out what do you want life to look like doesn't mean you're going to know doesn't mean like it's going to work out that way but like at least you can like imagine it like at least you can vision it like at least you can, can write out what you want it to be like if you never even set a goal of like I want to go to like, imagine how would we have ever made it to the moon? If no one was like, Hey, we should try to go to the moon. Wouldn't happen. Like you have to start, you start asking questions when you're like, we should go to the moon. How would we do that? Uh, I don't know. Planes go up like pretty high. Cool. Do we need to like, can a plane go all the way up there? I don't know. Let's put a monkey in it and see if it does. Nope. Okay. We got to figure out a different shell structure. Okay. We got to like, okay, let's test that out. And I think, you know, you got to be willing to ask like some pretty bold questions of like questions that other people think are bold or ridiculous. And like, and, and I'm no different in the sense I'm not going to, what I'm going to say, it's like, oh man, I must live in like some fearless world. No, like, I think we, it's a constant challenge of like looking at what are, what are the boundaries that you're putting on your own capabilities and possibilities? And a big reason why people create boundaries for their own possibilities is it most people haven't built internal structures and coping mechanisms for if it doesn't work out, does that then define who I am? And when you frame it that way, it's like, well, it's not even worth trying. Cause like, I can't break my identity of who I am. Cause I don't, I, what if it, what if it's worse? How am I going to live with myself? And I guess the big thing to me, I think Paul is like, I think it's much more reasonable for people. I don't want to say reasonable. I think for me, it had to start on a smaller scale. Like I don't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to take out a hundred thousand dollar loan and start a business. And I'm just going to figure it out. Like there are people who can make that work for me. It was like, screw it. Like I'm going to start a podcast and I have no intent. Like, I don't care if anyone listens. I don't care if like, and don't get me wrong. I was caring inside. Like, oh, what if someone doesn't like this? But eventually you just, you have to push your boundary a little bit more and more and more of like comfort. And I think that you'll, Oh, it's not the, I don't know if it's the answer that, that you were looking for, but I think really it's, if that, if that happens in life, um, you'll notice, I think a key thing is when you meet those people in your life who say, hell yeah, do it. Yeah. Go for it. 
Like, and, and they tell you like, what's the worst that can happen? And they genuinely mean it. Like, dude, what's the worst that happened? Okay. You, you take digital income school and like, you don't do anything with it. Okay. You've lost $500 in that sense. Like clearly you didn't really weren't, wasn't really something that you really wanted to do. Like that's literally like the worst, I guess there could be like, there could be worse case scenarios, but like on the spectrum of things, like that's pretty much like the worst thing that could happen for you guys, right? Start a digital marketing agency. And uh, what's the worst thing that happened? You never hire a single client. Okay. Uh, you have to fold and like you spent maybe five, $10,000 and like you didn't make any money. Cool. Like when you're 90, I always just think like when you're 95, are you going to, are you going to feel bad that like you went and tried the thing that you were curious if you could do, or are you going to sit there and be like, like you, you can live with that and laugh at that. And you know that life, you learn something in it from life. Cause you went for the experience rather than I just, I, for me now, it's like, I just hate the idea of sitting on my deathbed being like, I wonder what would happen if Paul and Carl and I just went for it. Like to me, the cost of that is far more significant than, uh, you know what? I'm just going to take this, like, I'm just going to play it safe and play this, do this PT position job for all my life. Like, again, it comes down to, to self-awareness too, of what you want. I, I just, and again, I'm, Sound, I don't want this to come up as pontificating. I still struggle with so many things and things that I'm working on pushing my own boundaries and we all push at different rates. Uh, I totally forgot the original question, Paul. So I hope that is somewhat relevant at all. Well, man, that was, that, that was perfect, bro. Like, honestly, well, well said, man. I think Thanks, a lot of, no, thank you. You know, I think a lot of the things that you, that you spoke on are a lot of the things that not just, not just our student listeners need to hear, you know, but I think anyone needs to hear, you know, because Mm -hmm. these are all things I think across all levels that we can all resonate with in in some form or sense. And uh, it was just funny hearing you say that last little bit about being on your deathbed, you know, and, and wondering like, what if, you know, because Paul has this this quote that he he likes to say where he kind of talks about the fact that uh, his biggest fear essentially is to get to the gates of heaven one day and be standing in front of God and God shows him like, this is the version of you that I wanted you to be. And he didn't live up to that. You know, and, and I think that's something that me and him kind of talk about often just from a standpoint of when it's all said and done, what do we want to go down as? You know, what do we want our legacy to look like? And understanding that, yeah, we'll probably fail along the way. There's going to be times that we don't succeed, but will it be better that we at least tried as opposed to living with that regret that we didn't try, you know? So I just think that's so um, important and disclaimer for our guest because I know you guys have probably heard me say this a few times on our on our podcast but the the quote that you guys hear me say where I talk about perfect inaction or imperfect action beats perfect inaction is a quote that I learned from Will so now you guys kind of know the origin of where I got that from, you know, but I think that that fits in perfectly to all of this. So, Will, man, I just want to say uh, once again, bro, thank you so much for coming on. You know, this this was amazing. This was 
a powerful episode and I'm just excited to see, you know, how, how many people it touches and how many people really feel this one. But before you go, for anyone who's listening and they're like, yo, this Will guy is the truth. I definitely want to get in contact with him. What would be some contact information or some social media info that you would want to leave with them? Yeah, so my social security number is 2434. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, first off, I got to give, I got to give. So I, I had to go back at one point. It was Harry Truman, I think, who first said, uh, imperfect action always beats perfect in action. So I want to give credit where credit's due. I think that was the first, uh, first person who, I'm sure he took that from someone else. So that's like as far back as I can go of credit. But uh, yeah, if, 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 if you want to connect with me, I think Instagram's the best place. Uh, just Will Boyd PT. It's where I share kind of my more personal journey and like uh, things. If you're super interested in learning business stuff, just uh, jump on over to our Facebook group, Online Business for Healthcare. Uh, and we talk about stuff like that. Um, yeah. And if, or if you ever want, you can just shoot me an email at will at willboydpt.com. And I'm happy to help anybody I can on a mission to help people create more income in their life, be able to impact more people and doing it while, you know, enjoying themselves. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Will. So to our lovely listeners, I'm not even going to say if you got some value from this episode, because I know you did. So since you got some value from this episode, hit Will up, connect with him, subscribe, share, leave a review. Again, it, it can be a one-star review. We just want to hear from you guys. Um, you know, we love being able to know what we can do better and how we can continue to help impact you guys' lives for those of you that have been rocking with us from the beginning and those of you that have just hopped on the OTC train along the way, you know, we're also appreciative and we're grateful for you as well. So until next time, actually, Paul, talk to them about these shirts, man, before I, before I finish up. Hey, man, you got to let me do my segue. You got to let me do my segue. I was going to be smooth with it, but since we're here, all right, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about something about perfect taking action, but hey, for those of y'all who have taken action and got our sharks, shout out to y'all. Um, for those of you who are still lollygagging and I don't know what, maybe you're trying to figure out what else you can buy instead of the shirt. Maybe a salt lamp. I don't know why you would do that though. Maybe a perfectly crafted spatula. I still don't know why you would do that. Maybe you're trying to buy, I don't know, an endless supply of, like, candy corn. I, listen, you know what to do. Text the word shirt to 321-384-6275 to get your shirt. Again, that's 321-384-6275. As always, I have the black one on. Carl has the white one on. We have a gray one. And as of recently, um, we've decided to make the customization of names public and available to everybody. Yes, it's a little extra, but listen, it always costs to be a little fly, okay? So get your shirt, text shirt to 321-384-6275 to get yours today. There you have it. So guys, go make sure you get your shirts. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in with us. Will, thank you, bro. Appreciate you. Guys, until next time, peace, many blessings. Thank you for listening to another episode of Off the Clock. Don't be shy to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. See you next episode.